As I said, we are walking through the book of Genesis, and um, this is a book that, that I think is, is very important for us because we learn in Genesis the how, how God created the world, um, and, and why God created the world is, is evident through Genesis. We learn what we're supposed to be doing here as human beings. And um, we see the, the, the foundation set for Jesus and why he's important to the world. So we learn all of this through the book of Genesis. I think it's extremely relevant to your life, and, and I find it very relevant to my life. And so we're going to walk through that slowly, but, but I want to do something uh, together with you. Um, throughout this series. Now, if I, if I were to try to focus in on every single significant passage in the book of Genesis, we would be here forever um, just through Genesis. And, and so I don't want to do that. I'm going to, you know, it'll be months, not years of, of Genesis. So I, I, I want to challenge you to read along like you did in Galatians in the fall, if you were here, where, where we talked about passages but then you read throughout the week. And, and so the, these first couple of weeks, I want to challenge you to read Genesis 1 and 2 together in one setting multiple times um, throughout the next couple of, of weeks. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have one that's easily readable, just take one of the blue or green ones there in front of you. Uh, this past week in my office, I read aloud the first word in the Bible, first word in chapter 1 is in. And starting with that first word, I read through the end of chapter 2 in one setting, and it takes about 6 minutes and 20 seconds. So in 6 minutes and 20 seconds, you can read out loud at a normal pace the first two chapters of the Bible. And so I want to challenge you to do that over the next couple of weeks, a couple different times in one setting. Read Genesis 1 and 2 so you have it tucked away in your mind and heart for our, our talks on Sunday. And if you don't have 6 minutes and 20 seconds, uh, you probably want to loosen up your schedule a little bit. Um, so, so it won't even take you that long if you read it internally because you're going to read faster than that. So uh, please do that uh, with us as we go through this series. Now one more little commercial here. Uh, next week, off to my left, I see Dr. Chris Williams and family. Um, in the book of Genesis, there, there's a lot of controversial stuff and a lot of stuff that, quite frankly, is hard to believe. You know, you look at it and you say, man, really? I, I, I really need to believe this? And, and, and so some of the controversy in Genesis happens when you, when, when you hear um, the Discovery Channel talk about the plain facts of evolution, right? Because that's just obvious and anybody smart believes this and anybody dumb doubts this. Uh, and, and I personally don't have the skill set, haven't put in the hours and hours and hours of study, and, and quite frankly don't have the IQ, uh, to get my brain around a lot of the truths and, and facts and falsehoods of the creation evolution stuff. But we have in our midst a PhD in biochemistry from THE Ohio State University, so you know it's good. Um, Chris Williams is going to join me on stage next week and walk through a lot of what he has seen in, in DNA and, and a lot of his, his studies as a scientist um, and why he's landed where he has. And I have to tell you, I met with him this past week, and 
I just left fascinated. I, I can't wait, and I, and I mean that. Uh, next week is going to be really, really, really good. I want you to make it top priority, and I want you, I would love for you to think through in your life, um, who's in your life that, that maybe struggles with the, the, the science Bible gap or the perceived gap between science and the Bible. And we're going to talk through that, and I promise you it's not going to be like angry and, and, and down your throat. We're just going to lay out the facts because like we said at Winking Lizard, all you really have to do is just lay out the, you don't have to do a lot of, a lot of thumping when you just lay out the facts. And so we're going to do that next week and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, so when I read the Bible, what's helpful to me, very simple, is to read it and ask, what do I learn about God from this passage and what do I learn about us or me human, being human, through this passage. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start off with what do we learn about God from Genesis chapter 1. So please turn with me if you would. I'd love for you to follow along, whether it's on smartphone, iPad, tablet, um, whatever, um, or analog. <laughs> um, first page of the Bible. First words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So, the first part of God's story that we get in the Bible is there's this blob. And so that's a picture of of the earth and the atmosphere and the sun and so let's take the sun out because it wasn't there yet and there's just this formless blob of water covering over land and that's where we start and, and God is there in the story hovering over this formless blob in the middle of something and God said let there be light and there was light God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now this calls to mind for me in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, there's, there's a point when it talks about the city of God being lit up by the glory of God. No need for sun, no need for moon or stars. The city of God being lit up by the glory of God. And we see this imagery here in, in chapter 1 because there's no sun yet, but somehow there's light. And, and likely that's just simply the glory of God lighting up what he's near. And there's a day that happens. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault, separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So now there's a second day, and now there's an expanse. Maybe your version has expanse instead of vault. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. 
Now, there's a rhythm here <clears throat> throughout Genesis chapter 1. It goes day by day. So we start with a blob, and then there's a day, and God creates something. And then there's another day, and God adds to the creation. Then another day, and God adds to the creation. Then another day, and God adds to the creation. Until we're at the end of a week, and we have a world complete that God said was good. I think that that's very interesting, and I think there's a lot to learn from God about that and from life about that. So, we, if I were all-powerful and I wanted something done, I would likely, if I had the ability to create on command, as God apparently does in Scripture... I would say my magic word, whatever it might be, I, I think God's magic word would be like Shazam. Shazam! And boom! It's perfect and it's done. I mean, why bother? The staff will tell you, or if you're a leader at Polaris and have worked with me, I hate process. Oh my gosh. I hate process. But God doesn't. Because what we see now, now, now um, um, Bible scholars and scientists and such who are believers debate about whether or not this is uh, seven literal days of creation or, or seven eras. Because there are places in scripture that seem to suggest that you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And, and maybe the Bible isn't all that interested in, in saying, yes, it's 24 hours specifically, maybe it's eras. But regardless of your interpretation of that, God wants us to know, the Bible wants us to know, the writers of Scripture want us to know that God went from the blob to perfection over a process. He, he, he had perfection in mind and he used a process to get there. Now, I find a, a, lot, of, a, a lot of comfort and, and sort of um, I'm able to interpret the world a lot better when, when I see that from the start, God is a God of process. And when you look at Scripture, we see it's consistent. God works in processes that are very frustrating to us as human beings. Because yes, number one, we should find great joy in knowing that God takes a blob and He makes something great out of it. Because that's also true in Scripture. Is God starts with nothingness and He's a shaper. He's a mover and a shaper, and he makes good things out of very bad things. So whatever we have in our life, whether it's finances, marriage, um, social life, uh, job stuff, family stuff, parenting, whatever, God can take the blob if we invite him and make it into something great. But one of the consistencies true of the Bible is it's not going to happen overnight. Very rarely does God just, you know, shazam it. And make it so. It's almost always through a process. God, remember we've said this before, God is slow. And the sooner we can realize that and deal with that, the better life is going to be or we're going to be really frustrated. And sometimes we misinterpret things. We think that God is distant from us. When the reality is, God's not distant. He's slow. He's working in the process that he's worked in since Genesis chapter 1. He wrote it thousands of years ago. We just are slow to accept the fact that God works in a process. God is slow. So if we look, uh, exhibit B would be Jesus. God decides, I'm going to now redeem the world of sin. 
going to become flesh and die on a cross and redeem the world of sin and lay out a set of teachings that's going to make sense of the world. So you or I, if we had this decision, um, okay, I'm just going to show up and walk out of a cave at age 30 and do my thing, right? I'm, I'm not going to go through a lot. I'm just going to get it done. But no, God is born in lowly circumstances and he lives a normal human life up to age 30. Talk about unnecessary process as far as I'm concerned. Man, why don't you just skip forward to the good part? But 30 years worth of days and hours and minutes lead up to the moment when Jesus is ready to begin his public ministry. 30 years of process to get to what God is going to do. Um, and then Jesus selects his disciples and he picks fishermen, completely unskilled in what he needs them to do. And he trains them over three years' time. And by the time of the crucifixion we read in Scripture, they're still half clueless. They still are doing really dumb things. But we see God working through this process. And so when you and I look at our life and we see these things, we have this vision of things that we want to see God do in our life. And we invite God in. Don't get frustrated when you're a couple days in and you don't have the addiction beat. Or when your finances aren't in order yet, or your marriage isn't quite healed yet, or your spouse doesn't listen to you yet. God is slow. And you could be right in the middle of this process and feel like God is a million miles away um, or doesn't even exist. And, and, and the message from the first page of the Bible is, yes, God is working and yes, God is shaping, but he's a process God. He's slow and he's frustrating. But there's nothing you're going to do about it. There's nothing I'm going to do about it. So we just need to embrace it and, and find joy in the process that God has going on in our life and join him and not resist him. All right. So that's what I learned about God from Genesis chapter 1. Let's move on to what we learn about ourselves from Genesis chapter 1. I think it's very relevant to our life here because we're going to get in Genesis chapter 1 our initial command from God as humans. And I don't see any evidence in Scripture that that command has ever changed or been fulfilled. So a big part of our spiritual DNA, what we were made to do, is laid out right here in Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 25. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds and God saw that it was good then God said let us make mankind in our image so he envisioned human beings and he says as God humans are going to be in the image of God in our likeness so that it's a big instruction here of what it means to be made in the image of God so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock and, and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and here comes the command. God blessed them and said to them, first command from God right here, be fruitful and increase in number. Here's the command, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth 
and subdue it. So we have a two-part command from God spread out. And that, that idea of subdue means to bring order to, to organize, to govern, to rule, uh, to, to show who's boss, to, to create, to process. It's the idea of bringing order to the things around you. So spread out and bring some order to this place. That's God's command for human beings, and it's repeated multiple times in the book of Genesis, and I think it's still true in our DNA today. In our soul DNA is the command from God, look at the world around you and bring order to that world. Now, I was talking with Paul last Sunday about this concept that we were really, there it is in Genesis, first chapter of the Bible, we were created for this, and there's something in humanity we, we, we feel good when we figure these things out. This past week, the pipes froze in my house, and I found the access... I mean, I am by no means a plumber, but I found the access panel in my closet and, and hit it with a hairdryer, and, and things worked again. And I felt good. It's like, okay, I brought order. There's, there's a sense where when you accomplish something, you feel good. So I was talking to Paul, and um, uh, he said, you know, it, it's funny because even... And I thought, th this is... This is a great insight, especially for Paul. I mean, come on. You get something worth listening to out of Paul. Um, one of the first things that babies want to do is sit up and organize things. Like you throw blocks in front of a, a very young toddler and they start trying to manipulate and move. And it's almost like built into our soul DNA. And, and, and whatever it is that we long to do as people from very early age, it, it's, it's order things and structure things. And, and so here's what I want you to see, and, and, and this may sound tacky and cheesy, but I think it's very true. We can find purpose in cleaning out the garage, in doing the laundry, in doing the dishes, in subduing the storage room, in subduing the closet, bringing order. Because that is one of the things that God said for us in creation is so many times we wonder, what does God really want me to do? Well, one of the things that I think God loves us to do is to just get organized and bring order. And I think we can find fullness in life when we, when we look at the things that we do around the house and, and your email inbox at work. You're gaining ground and gaining control of the life around you and it's part of what God has commissioned you to do. So go and subdue the garage. Go and subdue the snow from the sidewalk and the landscaping and that because we were created to do that. But there's another part to this that's really important. If you look at Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, um, we see uh, mankind in its earliest stages um, learning to subdue and bring order to things, but it's in close connection with God. It's in conversational relationship with God. So like Cain and Abel, chapter 4, uh, they're learning to harvest the crops and train and, and subdue animals in connection and communication with God. And for some of you, maybe, maybe that's what's missing. Maybe it's a matter of inviting God in. And, and this, is, this is, I know, it's, it's going to be a leap for, for, for some of you who, who don't function like this in your spiritual life. The next time you work on the car, invite God in. He created you to bring order, to fix what's broken. So just invite God along for the process. 
He created you to clean the, 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 the stains on the carpet to bring order. And, and so and invite God in to that process. And, and, and if you think that, that, that God is, is not up for that, I, I, wanna, I want you to think about children for a minute. So my boys, um, there, there's this new, it's not really new anymore, but, but a leading love in especially little boys right now. Um, and, and some teens and preteens, actually, is this game called Minecraft. And, and if you have sons, you're probably familiar with Minecraft. And, and basically, you're dropped off in that. Like the game starts, you just thunk. You're standing in the wilderness. And it's like Pong graphics. I mean, just... And, and, and you, you make stuff. Like you make a shovel and a pickaxe and a sword... And, and you dig for iron, and you build a house, and you got these torches and, and stuff. And my boys will play that for hours. And you know what they're really doing? They're subduing the earth. Now, this isn't a Minecraft ad, but I think that one of the things that connects with Minecraft is basically you're doing Genesis. You're dropped off in the wilderness to subdue the earth. Um, but it's not enough for them to go down there and, and, and dig for 14 hours to find fake iron <laughs> um, and you have to you know, make a furnace and make, make tools and, and stuff like that they want me to be there to watch hey dad will you wa- watch us watch me it's like oh. alright all yeah you, this is great yeah, good, good job way to, way to dig um, <laughs> but I, I do enjoy Watching my kids learn to do stuff on the game and they're excited about it and then, and then it's usually not enough for that. Dad, will you play with us? Will, will you play Minecraft? All right. Fine. Um, and and I, I mean, I enjoy playing those things with my children. There's a connection there. Jesus tells us um, that children show us, children are the best examples to show us how it works between God and, and people. This is how the kingdom works. You want to know how the kingdom works? Watch a child. Children love to do anything. Any, anything they learn, they, 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 they love to show. Hey, Dad, watch me. Hey, Dad, will you sit with me while I, will you, whatever. And so I don't think it's inappropriate or strange at all to think that the God of the universe, and, and if you think there's much difference between God and you and us and a four-year-old, we have a pretty small view of God. There, there, there's twice, infinity times that gap. Okay? So, so it's not all that crazy to think that the God of the universe, if he loves us, would want to sit with us and clean the garage if we like to do things like that with our children. And so I think a big part of finding purpose and fullness in life is looking at the things in everyday life that we have the power to bring order to, doing so while we invite God in. So while you're at work doing it, what you do, you're inviting God to do the mundane with you. Um, there, there's, a, there's, there's a book called Practice the Presence of God. Um, and it, it, it's a collection of letters by a man named Brother Lawrence who wrote of the intense joy and fullness he got in life from inviting God to do the dishes with him. And he was a dishwasher. And he would invite God to wash and clean and dry the dishes with him. And he just had these intense moments of connection with the creator of the universe. 
doing mundane things and inviting God in. And so, you know, whether it's schoolwork, homework, um, the bills, the whatever, just invite God in. Okay, let me move on now. Second part of this command. It's not just subdue the earth. It's fill the earth and subdue it. So we're not allowed to just hunker down, focus on what's in a perimeter of, of, and, and bring order there. We have to think beyond. We have to go beyond ourselves and look outward to bring order and fix the broken and organize the chaos. So there's a weird chapter. Now, Genesis chapter 11, just, just one of those weird things that I think, did that really have to be in the Bible? Because um, it's, it's tough to make sense of unless you look at it through the eyes of this command. So all the people of the world were together in close proximity, organizing things, creating, surpassing milestones, learning but they were violating this initial command because while they were subduing the earth very effectively, they weren't branching out. They weren't filling the earth. And God comes down and he says, this is not good because humans are going to learn to be self-sufficient and nothing's going to be impossible for them. And, and God knows what's true in our life. When we figure things out and everything's going well, we distance ourselves from God. I would be shocked if you have that one beat. Typically, if I don't have adversity in my life, my relationship with Jesus is not thriving because everything taken care of means I don't really need God. And so God scatters the nations. God takes that group of people at Babel and he confuses their language, which is where we get the concept of, of, of Babel, like babbling. And, and he confuses the languages so that they can no longer interact and he scatters them because it was very important to God that people filled the earth, looked outside themselves. And, and so in, in, this is what we call around here at Polaris Isaiah 58. I just use that reference to refer to the chapter, of, chapter 58 in the book of Isaiah when God says, you use what you have available to you to the margins of society, take it beyond yourselves and beyond your immediate needs, and you care for those on the margins out there. This is filling the earth and bringing order. This is why to, to a, an ancient Jew, um, <clears throat> it was very important as a part of your walk with God to, if you saw something broken, you fix it. If you saw something lost, you put it where it belongs. If something's missing, you replace it. You do whatever you can do wherever you're at to order things out there. And the other thing to keep in mind with this is this is communal language. God looks at mankind and he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I think it, it goes for individuals. And, and we as modern-day Americans are, are the most individualistic people in the history of the world. Beyond compare, we are individualistic. But we need to think corporate in this. So together, as a people group, we need to be looking outward, using what we have to fix the world, to bring justice and hope and peace as a part of our fulfillment of the very first command. So if you want to find purpose in your life, it's realizing you were created to order stuff and fix stuff. You were created to order stuff and fix stuff in the context of friendship with God 
and in the context of a spiritual community, mankind together, a force of people who are expanding beyond the immediate, fixing the broken, bringing hope in order to the broken world around us and a relationship with God. When we do those things, we will find incredible purpose, I have no doubt. One more thing to talk through here. Ultimately, this all points to Jesus and what he came to do. So God creates a physical world, drops off human beings, and says, bring order to it. Thousands of years later, God brings Jesus along to fix the spiritual world, to order the spiritual world. So Jesus comes to the earth, and he recreates the spiritual world on the cross by paying the price for all our sins. And he lays out his teachings, which will help you and I subdue our spiritual world. And subduing our spiritual world is very important. God looks to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and says, Sin longs to have you, but you must subdue it, overcome it, govern it. It's interchangeable Hebrew language there with subduing the world. We subdue the physical world. We subdue morality. We bring our, we order our moral world. And Jesus came to bring a set of teachings to teach us how to bring our moral world and spiritual world into order. So, the world starts off as a blob. God creates it and he says to people, fill it, spread out, and bring order to it. Right? That was our first command in Genesis. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'll give you some time to get there. We're almost done. Not that you're ready to be done. You could spend hours here listening to me. I know it. Um, I'm kidding. I'm bored with myself. Um, Matthew 28. If you got the page number, yell it out because I forgot to write it down. 698. Okay. 698 of one of the Bibles in the pews. <clears throat> Chapter 28, verse 19. First command from God, go outward and bring order. Then Jesus comes along and recreates the spiritual world and looks to his followers and he says, go, make disciples or followers of Jesus of all nations. Go into all the world is how it's translated in some versions. Go out there, spread out. And teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. So what Jesus essentially says is that thing you're supposed to be doing physically in the world, going out and ordering, now your command is to spiritually go out past the immediate and out into the world and help people bring order out of their spiritual lives. Take the teachings of Jesus, put them into place in your own life to order your own spiritual world, and then actively do so in the lives of others. I mean, this is our calling. This is what we were created to do. And I know a lot of the times we want the specific things. Like, what specific thing does God want me to do? But God's probably not going to give you that if you're not being obedient to the commands that have been in Scripture for thousands of years. Our first command that we share with, with, with all mankind is to order the things around us 
And then the second one given by Jesus is to order our spiritual world and help those around us order their spiritual lives. And, and, and that is a lifetime to get that in order. But what I want you to see from Genesis here is that God has been working to order the world around Jesus since the start. He had in mind from the start this idea of a world ordered around the teachings of Jesus. And if we bring our own lives into that kind of order and then spend our lives helping others find that kind of order, that is a path to an extremely fulfilling and powerful and worthwhile life. And I think it's a path to joy and peace and hope, and it's right there in the first chapter of Genesis. All right, I want to remind you about next week. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. I really want you to make it a priority, and I hope that you'll invite some friends and things, because Chris is ready to bring it next week. Let's stand, and uh, during this song, anything that you have to pray for, um, there'll be some of us up front here, and um, uh, yeah, just come on up while we're singing, and uh, we'll pray together. So God, thank you for giving us your word that details how you made it all, and how you made it all with us in mind, and made it all with your son Jesus in mind, and ultimately... Uh, made it all with redemption. You, you are working to redeem the world and, and you've invited us to do so as well. I pray that you would be very specific in showing us what in our life, uh, what needs to be ordered, to be organized and, and brought into submission. Um, what around us needs to be brought into submission? Where can we help? Where, where, where can we bring hope and peace and joy? And I pray that, that you would show us that, uh, those very specifically and, and give us fulfillment and joy in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.